This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. is up welcome to another episode of i saw what you did my name is millie i'm danielle (laughs) you guys don't know millie always makes me laugh so hard right before she does this intro (laughs) i know i think at this point i am trying to crack you up let's get serious It works every time. <laughs> oh, good. The worst would be for me to do it and you do absolutely nothing and like look at your watch and be like, uh, when do I get off the mic with this loser? <laughs> it's going to be such a tragic day when I'm like faking it <laughs> and I'm like, ha ha. And you're like, oh, no, that's <laughs> that's the death knell. But it'll never happen because every week you crack me up every week. Well, you say that now, but in 40 years, what's it going to look like? <laughs> In 40 it's, all, years. it's all fun and games in the first six months. <laughs> in 40 years, this podcast is just going to be microphones pointed at our grave sites. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think we talk about farts now? Yeah. You just wait. Wait until we're like 97 years old. Oh, yeah. You wait till the decomposition begins while we're still breathing. We're not even going to be able to get like every movie will just be like one long fart noise. <laughs> It'll just be like, today, it's out of fart noise there. Can we, uh, Annalise, out of fart noise in post. (laughs) Anyway, uh, enough about that, though. I want to know, what's up with you? What's going on this week? Oh, gosh. Not too much is going on this week. Um, I did get an acupressure mat, which is basically like a little bed of nails. (laughs) My shoulders and back are always killing me. And it's plastic. Like, the the... It's not nails. It's like a fluffy piece of fabric, kind of like a flat cushion. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these plastic spiky discs on top. And so you lay down. And there's also a plastic spiky pillow. Okay. And I lay down on it. And like, I do feel some of the tension release in my shoulders. I think it's just like a blood circulation thing. But Okay. I want to talk to you about this seriously, because first of all, I have so I have moved into that realm slightly, which is that because I was never really into like painful, like, you know, when you go and get massages or something back in the olden days when you could be around people and they could maybe touch you as a job or whatever. Um, But remember, like, like, you know how when you're like in the room and they're like, do you want, you know, hard pressure, like medium pressure? I'm like, I want like a gentle touch. I don't, I can't handle, like some people love it with like that giant hard massage type thing. Uh, For me, it's, I've never been the case. I want you to like whisper over my back. That's how light it has to be. Yeah. But (laughs) things have changed because now I think it's a combination of age. The fact that our lives have been upended by sitting at home all day 
And so I have these like weird neck and like, and I've been reading kind of about it, you know, how it might be like a tension thing or it's based on inactivity essentially from not like living a real life. And so I was like reading about this device that you can actually use for your neck that is basically like hard plastic spikes of which you <gasps> speak of. And I got one and I've tried it once. And I was like, is this helping? Like I, I was convinced it was helping, but I, I haven't tried it enough to really like make that decision. Yeah. But I'm curious, like, does something like that help you? Are you like into the plastic spikes now? I'm into it. Cause I'm usually, I'm just like you. I'm like, don't like, just look at my back. You don't even have to touch me. I'd be fine. Like, I don't want the heavy massage. I'm not into like hardcore anything. Yeah. And it's like my muscles, are, my back is basically like a box, like a bag of rocks. And people are like, you know, every time I've gone for a massage, they're like, well, we have to do it. Give you more pressure because that's how you get these knots out. And I'm like, I don't agree. And I don't want it. So I was shot a little surprised at myself for buying the the bed of nails, you know. Also, I've seen uh, the documentary Crumb, and that's all I think about oh, when I think about laying God. down <laughs> spikes. But yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I felt like if I could at least even get on it, that would be a, an accomplishment for me. Uh-huh. And it's not, it doesn't feel like anything when you're on it. You really feel it like when you're laying down, you can kind of feel some pokes. But then once you are on it and horizontal, it's cool. I didn't use the pillow for as long because that was a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. But what I have instead, I've also purchased, and I'll send I'll send you the links and we'll post it on our socials if anyone's interested. Um, I got this little neck stretcher thing that looks like it looks like a whale's tail almost, like a little cartoon whale's tail. Um, and you just kind of rest your you rest your neck on it so your head's kind of bent over it. And I did that in combination with the acupressure mat, and I feel like my back feels looser. Wait a minute. Do we have the same? Now I'm like frantically looking at my Amazon order history being like, did we get the same thing for our neck? I wonder. Wait a minute. So you're saying it looks like a a whale's tail because I'm like, mine kind of looks like that too. Yeah. Like it looks, it's like a turquoise color and it's got these three little nubs in the middle. Okay. Maybe it is the same thing. Hold on. Did we do something (laughs) cute like that? Are you kidding? Yeah, I think mine is called... Yeah, is it called a Da Vinci tool? I don't know if mine had a name. Can you see that? Oh my God. Does it look like that? It kind of looks like that, except it's a little more curved. Mine doesn't have the dip in the middle. Okay. Yeah, that is the three-pronged tool of death that I'm about to start using more often. I am into it. It helped. And mine is called, it's a um, a cervical traction device. <laughs> Cervical? Cervical spine alignment. Oh, that's cervical. Yeah. And then I got the the acupressure map, but we'll post it. We'll post it. We'll post it all. But it is, I felt it. I've only done it a couple of times this week and I have felt a difference. And I also feel like part of me wanted to do it because whenever we edit and listen, when I listen back to the show, I'm just like, I'm so hyper every time I talk to you. I'm like, maybe I need to literally lay down before we record so I can be slightly less hyper. Okay. Full disclosure. Okay. Let's get serious here. You and I have essentially, when we get together to do this podcast, it's after like a 12 hour work day. Okay. <laughs> Usually. 
So what I'm doing in between the end of my work day and this podcast is chugging like <laughs> coffee or Diet Cokes or Diet Dr. Peppers. So that's the problem is that you and I are I like know. trying to caffeinate ourselves as much as possible in a very small period of time. And so when we get on this fucking microphone, we're like, you know, literally about to punch each other through the screen because we're yeah. so <laughs> It's like virtual cornholio is what's happening here. <laughs> And look, I'm gonna crack another diet diet coke. Do I'm it, doing babe. It. Do I it. I cracked it. I love it. <laughs> That's truly it. It's like, yeah, I drink coffee in the morning, but then before we do this show, you're right. Like I start slamming diet coke. I mean, perhaps it's why we're so fucking tense and need these <laughs> medieval tools. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, too, like I was the the other day I was like dreaming of a massage. Like I was dreaming of it. Like I was going, oh, my Ugh. God, wouldn't it be so fantastic to like get a full body massage like in the massage place with somebody that knows what they're doing without yes. the threat of COVID? Like, man, <laughs> I was because I remember like. Remember, it was like a million years ago. I think it was for your birthday when we went to that place in Silver Lake. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, that place was amazing. I was like dreaming of something like that. It's one of those kind of spa like massage places where at the end of it, like they have a little room for you to sit and they bring you a plate with like cut fruit on it and a fig and some water, like some, you know, mint water or whatever. And it is it's very decadent. It's very and I, it's not expensive it's just decadent like they really go all out i need that i need that decadence i need that tlc i need Same. i need those i need that tension release situation when it, you know also too speaking of devices i would love it if someone just bought me this i'm kidding i'm not gonna ask anybody <laughs> to just buy me a a very expensive device, but you know, those like, have you seen those like Theragun things? Yes. Okay. I was just going to say that. Like, look, shoot your shot. Somebody might buy you a Theragun. You never know. <laughs> uh, listen, my birthday is this month. I just wanted to throw that out there. I know. Cause I've seen those things and here's what I don't get. If I would need it more for my shoulders and neck and i guarantee at this point we've lost half our listeners They're like we cannot understand why these old ladies keep talking about their fucking bodies but if i was gonna get it because it's horizontal i don't understand how it would hit my back and neck spots like in the middle yeah i i think it's more i don't know if there's attachments like <laughs> on a mixer or something like that i don't know if there's some shit going on like that all i know is that i've seen people use it on their like legs and yeah. stuff and i've just been like that looks insane and it's like expensive as shit i think it's like 500 600 and so i've been like yo save up some money save it up but also i just want to say if you have a drill <laughs> let's come up with some hacks i guarantee someone has come up with a theragun hack by now that involves a drill and a generator and like your neighbor throwing a ping pong ball at your face, like there's something. I bet you it is a tennis ball at the end of a drill. But Completely. it doesn't go it doesn't go in and out though. Exactly. No, it just goes around like, and around. Yeah. If you have made a home Theragun and want to share a <laughs> recipe with us, please email us. I saw what you did pot at gmail.com. Speaking of our email. Yes. Perfect, <laughs> we actually... perfect segue. <laughs> 
<laughs> we need a trumpet sound in there, Annalise, because that never, <laughs> ever happens where we get a segue that never. works. I saw that hole and I jumped into it. Speaking of shooting your shot, exactly. You did well. Thank you. But we do have some emails to read. We've been getting so many great emails from so many people and... To the tune where I wish we could just have a whole episode of reading emails. And maybe one day we will. Maybe when we're both in traction because our backs have broken, we'll only be able to read emails and your dreams will come true. Um, But for now, we've got a couple that we want to start with. Okay. well, I guess, yeah, I'll go first. This is an email we got from Ellen. I'm assuming it's not Ellen DeGeneres. You don't know that. I I certainly don't. Uh, It's Ellen Burstyn. (laughs) It's the... One of many famous Ellens that we know personally. Um, So this email says, my sister wishes that she could see another Nora Ephron movie for the first time. We regularly quote whole scenes from You've Got Mail and Julie and Julia is her palate cleanser when she's been watching murder shows for too long. I hear that, right? (laughs) Um, We think lighthearted and heartfelt movies are just as important as the serious ones with a point to make, especially now when comfort is so valuable. I would love to give her recommendations for similar movies from female directors. Thank you, pals. Okay, so I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I don't want to pick apart the email too much, but I just have to say, I think lighthearted movies also have points to make usually. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they have like kind of interesting or serious points underneath all of the fluff. So I'll just, I just wanted to point that out. Agree, agree. So here's my thing. Okay, so you're talking about Nora Ephron. Big fan of Nora Ephron, obviously. And I was assuming that when you were kind of saying Nora Ephron, you were kind of mentioning, you know, maybe like romantic comedies um, made by female directors, as you said, but also maybe that kind of take place in New York or like a big city or something like that. So, I mean, honestly, the first one that came to mind is this movie called Crossing Delancey. It came out in 1988. It was directed by Joan Micklin Silver. She just passed away recently. And um, she's, she's such a great director and had a really interesting life. I mean, she basically started making movies at 40, which is kind of a incredible i mean i think that's fantastic so isn't it great i love it when people like start doing things later in life i just have Me to say too. yeah and she's kind of self-taught like she kind of just like watched movies and read a lot about them i don't think she went to like some fancy film school but crossing delancey is great it's got amy irving and uh peter regard and it's you know basically a rom-com that's set in new york city and it's great. Such a great one. I'm just trying to think of of other uh, directors that you might be sort of similar to something that you're looking for. So I would say that movie, maybe Elaine May. So there's this movie she did called A New Leaf from 1971. It's with her. She Elaine May is in it with Walter Matthau. That might be a good one for you. And honestly, like, I know we've talked about Nicole Haloff Center before, but I think her movies are absolutely perfect too they're like funny and witty and like self-deprecating kind of in the Nora Ephron way and she's such a great director I think a lot of her movies are would be like kind of perfect for this I guess that's kind of it I mean that could probably go on for a long time I mean I could talk about girlfriends and uh, more on the serious tip this movie called Private Life that came out two years ago 
the Tamara Jenkins movie that oh, uh, yeah. with um, Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. Yes. That's a little like more on the serious. I don't know if it's like lighthearted enough, but I loved it. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Takes place in New York, obviously female directors. So yeah, that would be my recommendations, but I understand. I understand even though I was trying to like, you know, point out that like <laughs> rom-coms are serious, man. But I get it. Like I need to escape frequently from yes. the more serious stuff. Um, and sometimes you just want to watch something that's just like effervescent. These are great recommendations because it is also uh, like Nora Ephron is a very specific kind of feeling, you know, like her writing and her movies are very specific feeling. So I love that you were able to come up with so so many that really do feel the same way. Like that's Lovely. And I'm going to watch some of them myself. Thanks for your question, Ellen. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ellen Burstyn. Um, <laughs> Ellen Cleghorn, <laughs> maybe. Anyway. Do you know how excited I would be if Ellen Cleghorn? <laughs> oh, my God, me show? too. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, she went back to school and like got her doctorate or something. Like I, I was just reading about her like a few months ago because I'm like, Ellen Cleghorn was so funny. I would flip out, basically. So if her niece or nephew is listening or anybody, like, just let just know that we love Ellen Cleghorn. If you were Ellen Cleghorn Jr., thank you for your email. We love your mom. ECJR! Ellen Cleghorn Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. All right. So I'm going to read an email from Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, I feel really bratty to be doing this, but I'm here to ask for a custom recommendation. And here's where I'm going to stop the email and just say, not bratty at all. As we've already established, this is the shoot your shot episode. <laughs> yeah. If you want a custom bespoke movie recommendation, it's the week to do it. Do it now. And that's what our email is for. Honestly, <laughs> we love it. So Elizabeth continues. I need a movie that touches on an ethically controversial subject that is also related to medicine. It is for a term paper in my medical ethics class. The movie our teacher suggested was Gattaca, which I did love as a kid, but I need some fresh juice. I was thinking I could possibly make the fly work for this purpose, but I figured it was worth a shot to ask my movie guru, Guardian Angels. Thank mm. you. Um, this is a great question, and I hope it's not too late. <laughs> I don't have a date for when this email came in, she but if you're still... She failed this class because of us. <laughs> I will feel miserable if this came in too late, but perhaps it will help another student in a medical ethics class, even if. So I was really thinking about this. I feel like you could do Seconds if you wanted to listen to that episode again. Um, that's a really good older movie about medical ethics. I think an interesting one. But the list that I've come up with for you is um, I, I, I wouldn't recommend anyone watch these back to back unless you want to have uh, what I'm now calling my breaking the waves weekend where I watched like three <laughs> horribly depressing movies back to back. But they're all fantastic. So I would first recommend The Diving Bell and The Butterfly from 2007. Uh, Julian Schnabel directed it. And that is the movie about the man who um, has a stroke and then he suffers from locked-in syndrome. So it's about kind of him not just living in his memories, but also learning how to speak with kind of nods and and body movements and how you know patient that process has to be. But I also thought on the more controversial side... The Skin I Live In from 2011, which is a Pedro Almodovar movie. And it is 
wild. This movie is basically about a scientist who does transgenetic work because he's created a synthetic skin. And then you find out that he's, through a series of stories, um, you find out that the person he's holding captive in his home is actually someone that he has experimented on and given a sex change against their will um, for as punishment for a crime that they possibly committed. So that is an interesting medical ethics film from a controversial point of view, as is, I think, The Sea Inside, which is 2004, uh, Alejandro Amenabar directed it, and Javier Bardem stars in it. And it's the true story of uh, Ramon San Pedro, who, after a diving accident, uh, he becomes a quadriplegic. And after 28 years, he decides he wants to end his life. So... Those are all my suggestions. I think if you want to top off the list, just in case nobody else has already picked this one, uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, uh, which was directed by George C. Wolfe, um, is on HBO, I believe. And that's about the HeLa cell. So this woman unknowingly donated her, her cells <laughs> and it was used for decades after her death uh, to fund a lot of scientific advancements. So... Those are all my my movies on controversial medical ethics. We also got some nice some nice messages too. Do you want to read your your nice email, or should I read my nice email since I'm already talking? You should read yours. Okay, so we got this great email from Larry. Uh, it was so nice, and I feel weird reading nice things about myself, but I feel great reading nice things about us. Yes. So I'm going to do it. Yes, you should. <laughs> Larry says, I am so in love with your podcast, I can hardly stand it. It's embarrassing how much I bring up details of your conversations to my husband as if I had actually been hanging out with my real life friends who crack me up with everything they say. Uh, there must be many people like me for whom you've concocted the most perfect combination of all the things we like, movies, old and new, fucked up observations, raw and unfiltered talk, real knowledge and smarts, and truly tender, sincere introspection, revelation, and honesty. I'm so happy to have found you. Larry, we feel the same way. We follow you on Instagram. <laughs> Larry's a legend, so I'm like completely blown away. That is so nice. I actually am like, wow, I'm touched by that. It's Me awesome. too. It's very thoughtful. And I bought Larry's book as well, which I think that um, if we can help promote that i don't know legally what we're allowed to do <laughs> is this pay is this payola if we bought a book from a person that said something nice about us it's personal payola it's personal payola which is also a dish that is made in argentina <laughs> <laughs> don't send us the recipe we have a ton um that's awesome, man. That's so great. Well, I'm actually going to read an email that was pretty much sent to you. And it's so great. And you're just going to have to sit here and let people love you. So buckle up, baby. Um, this is from Jen. I believe she was, uh, she sent us an email about the Bill Gunn episode that we did last month for Black History Month. And she writes, Danielle, I really want to thank you for opening up about your experience in discovering what it means to be black. I am almost 40 and I'm just now starting to figure it out for myself. 
I too have shame around that, but listening to you speak to it makes me feel like I'm not alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is incredibly sweet, Jen. Thank you for writing in. Um, And you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. I think that part of part of the joy of speaking up about this kind of stuff is that I, it, you inevitably, inevitably find like-minded people um, to kind of be your chorus and be in your corner. And I feel like it's a really healing thing and a really kind thing that you've, that you've said and, we, and given that to me. So I, I'm glad that I could give that to you as well. And uh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I will say she's I mean, she's not the only person that has mentioned that Uh, we did get a lot of comments about that. And um, yeah, I think you I think that you might have felt like you're in a vulnerable place at the moment that it was happening, but it resonated with people and they appreciate it. So they just love you. (laughs) Thanks, friend. As do we. Well, Danielle, let's talk about the theme for this week. What is it? Our theme this week is prank phone calls. Ooh, prank phone calls. All right. What is your experience with prank phone calls? Because I, you know, I have my own. Everybody has their own. I'm curious about yeah. yours. I um I came of age in what uh, one would call the jerky boys era. <laughs> They have an era. Holy shit. (laughs) They do now. They do now. We've crossed the fucking threshold of time. And it was a whole era. This is like pre-Crank Yankers, pre-all of this stuff. Like the Jerky Boys defined a generation. And we were making prank phone calls prior to that. But what was weird about prank phone calls is that, first of all, I could not make a long distance call without fear of like being murdered by my family because you used to have to pay for long distance calls, guys. <laughs> and uh, long distance could be the next town over from you. So if you're just slipping through the phone book, you can't just, you know, willy nilly. So you have to pick from the local phone book, which also increased the chances in my town that you would know the person you're calling. So that's inevitably where it really came down to is that I would prank call my own friends and their families. Yeah, because it was basically like, correct me if I'm wrong. This was so long ago. Um, (laughs) It was long distance if you had a a different area code, right? So if your area code was different, then it was technically long distance. So you were only calling people basically who lived in your town. Is what exactly. You're okay, gotcha. Exactly. So we went through the the instead of going through the yellow pages, we went through the white pages, which was the local phone book. <laughs> and it was wild because we did when I was much younger, like nine, ten. Um, I only really did prank calls when I was with my friends. You know, I was you can go back and listen to that bonus episode if you want to know how I lived without a phone and food and all that shit for a long time. But we couldn't count on having a phone for a while. So, um, yeah, I would make prank call- phone calls with my friends and they would usually just prank people that they knew. So they would like call their dad at work or something. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> exactly. I feel like because it's funny because I mean, I feels like prank phone calls are no longer a thing because everybody has cell phones. Everybody's phone number is visible. I mean, I guess maybe if you're, you know, like a telemarketer or something, you could figure something out, but it's that thing where you're like that era, 
doesn't really seem to exist anymore. I mean, I remember like a pre-Star 69 world where you couldn't even call the number back. And, you know, then you would have to do the defensive move, which is Star 67. Yes. For those people who are too young, essentially like on a landline, if you dialed star 69 it would call the number back right or you would get the phone number now it would call the number immediately back yeah okay but then they came up with or somebody found out i don't know who found this out some some pre-reddit person an unsung uh, hero (laughs) unsung hero of prank phone calls figured out that star six seven blocks the number from star 69 so then you always got to do the star six seven before you start you know And then, yeah, usually it was either like two different techniques. It was either like you dialed random numbers or you went through the phone book and picked out like names of people who were weird <laughs> like you know <laughs> like in the in one of the movies in my movie today they call a guy named john hamburger yeah. and i'm like that was a perfect name that's a perfect prank phone call name right it's fantastic and there was something that was so it was the most i think the last era of like harmless fun for kids in a way that like wasn't monitored, had nothing to do with their parents. The Jerky Boys again took it to like absurd levels and were kind of disgusting and whatever. But even just to like just to call someone that you didn't know when you were a kid was like a thrill on its own. So even if you didn't know what you were gonna say, which we rarely did, like my grandmother would do prank phone calls and ask like, "Is your refrigerator running?" Well, then you should catch it. Wait, your grandmother did prank phone calls. When she was a kid, yeah. Oh, when she was a kid, I was like, with you? I'm like, no. that's fucking awesome. <laughs> She's what? like, give me what? that phone. Let she me tell continues you to be incredible. Like, oh my God. <laughs> when she was a kid and she would say like, because I would ask her, like, have you ever done a prank phone call? And she's like, yeah, I used to ask, is your refrigerator running? Well, then you should go down the street and get it. Um, and another one that she had ready was, uh, do you have Prince Albert in a can, which I guess was a type of food? And then she oh. would say, well, then let him out. Like, they were just so dumb and cute. <laughs> old faithfuls. The old faithfuls. Yeah. And we didn't have any old faithfuls. We would just call and be like, blah, 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 blah. Like make sounds and just laugh and like (laughs) yeah. So it's so funny because I was terrible at making prank phone calls, and I only did them with my friends too. Because first of all, now now that you've entered in this scenario in my mind, I'm now I'm just envisioning like an 11 year old girl making prank phone calls by herself. That's that's crazy. It's a weird endeavor. <laughs> Where is that movie? Is it a serial killer movie? Who knows? It is, and she's the serial killer. She's an actual. Yeah, but I, you know, I was terrible at them because I was always like, it was a mix between Catholic guilt, feeling guilty, and then just being a bad, um, just laughing, just laughing right. through it. But there was a guy that I was friends with. This was mostly like in high school, really, when we were doing this. And his name is John McRae. He's a prank phone call legend. Was he in the Seven Deadly Monkeys? He was. No, he was not. He actually did not go to my high school. He went to like a much nicer high school. But he was like the king of prank phone calls to where I was like, how does he do it? Like he had... (laughs) 
I mean, he would say the most outrageous shit and he sounded like an adult. You know how like when you're like when somebody's really good at prank phone calls, they sound like, you know, the power company person or they sound like a lawyer. That was his. He did a lot of the lawyer stuff. He'd be like, (gasps) you know. This is um, John Hamburger um, calling because, um, you know, we got the documents for the lawsuit. And, you know, it's like he was able to. Oh, my God. I mean, he was a true connoisseur of the of the craft. And I would just like all night long. I mean, it was the kind of thing where we're like, we would make him call people. Like we would be like, yo, call that guy. You're the king. And he was so good at it. Instead of doctors without, without borders, it's like pranking against your will. <laughs> pranking without representation. Yeah. And I, I remember like, I, he would be like on the living room phone and I would like get on like some other phone in the house. Yes, you know? that's how you did it. And yes. then I'm sitting there breathing, laughing, and you know, I'm just ruining it for him because I'm just like <laughs> John Hamburger, <laughs> you know, and ruined it for him. But I, but I was, I was that thing where like I always wanted to be good at it, and I loved people who were good at them. Yes, it was a skill. It was a real skill because that's also. I mean, I wish that they taught prank phone calls now as a way to get over anxiety of public speaking or you know if like the fucking Toastmasters did it like it really is like a pressured scenario that you have to like perform they are always there's always like back when we were in the office I'd always see the Toastmasters group at my work and I was always like I don't know about that but now if I knew that they were teaching prank phone calls to people I would join that shit in five milliseconds I would be an ambassador if they talk calls because it it, like that is the memory I have of it is that it was a lot of anxiety and the payoff was the laughter because you're doing something so weird and wild and I just I, I, I can't say that I miss it because in order to be a pranker you have to be willing to occasionally be a pranky yeah so I'm glad that they're like I never got any of those prank phone calls I was gonna say I was gonna ask you that question next which is did you ever get any prank phone calls i did and it was always from one of my friends so i knew who it was like i'm like and then we would just end up talking about like beverly hills 90210 and i'm like i know what it's you dummy what's up (laughs) i remember we got a prank phone call once like an actual legit prank call (gasps) at the house this is when we were living in south carolina and i was like god i was probably like seven or eight years old and i remember we got a breather and I remember being like eight years old and it was a guy on the phone. It could have been a could have been a girl. Who knows? But it sounded like a guy. And it was totally the like horror movie thing where he's just like, eh, eh, eh. I mean, it sounded like. No. Yeah. And I was like traumatized. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is what they talk about on 60 Minutes. These evil prank phone calls. And uh, I was traumatized by that. So, you know, I should have learned my lesson. But I didn't. And I was like, yo, I got to get John and my friends to do these prank phone calls because they're funny as shit, right? Sometimes the only way to get over trauma is to go through it. (laughs) And to go through it 
Maybe you got to perform a little trauma of your own. I don't know what I'm saying, but I feel like it's part of the healing process and I'm okay with it. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this, not only because it's just such a big point of nostalgia, but, you know, also just because these movies are, I mean, both of these movies are basically horror movies, but one is very much, I would say way more scarier than the other. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But I also love that there's kind of this, you know, basically a collection of prank phone call movies now that have existed from, you know, obviously like the sixties, at least the sixties with one of the movies that we're talking about today, you know, and there, now there's just so much sort of film movie, legacy behind these like prank phone call movies because there's all this stuff now like the call is coming from inside the house i mean that's just kind of like a thing that people say now and i am just excited especially your movie i'm really excited to talk about your movie i'm psyched about your movie too (laughs) well i am i going first this week i believe yeah because i did gleam in the cube and we talked for like an hour and a half about (laughs) (laughs) what are the high points of this podcast, I'll have you know. It oh, was completely so fucking fun to talk about that movie. When the, when 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 the microphones were pointed at our graves in forty years, I'm also going to have that episode playing on a loop. That'll be my my headstone. Just that episode. <laughs> I won't say like daughter, aunt, lover, whatever. Like, it'll just be like this was the proudest moment of her life. She la- never <laughs> laughed so hard. She never thought so deeply <laughs> <laughs> love thinking deeply about some dumbass shit am i right oh god all right so my movie this week for the theme of prank phone calls is a movie from 1965 it was directed by one of my all-time personal heroes william castle and it's called i saw what you did don't answer it your name is in this book it could happen to you It starts as a game, and there's no end in fright. Go ahead. Close your eyes and pick a name. Pick a name? Any name. I saw what you did, and I know who you are. You know, this movie is the name of a podcast. I've heard. Right off the bat, I should say that. The one hosted by uh, Liev Schreiber, right? (laughs) Yeah, and Ellen Cleghorn, I believe. But right out the gate... I want to talk about William Castle because I love him so much. So he's best known for directing like an entire slew of B movies, mostly from the 1950s and 60s. A lot of them are horror movies and they were all pretty much promoted with these like super fun and funny marketing gimmicks. Um, And he was kind of like the originator of this. So for example, he made this movie in 1958 called Macabre. And when it was screening, he took out $1,000 life insurance policies from Lloyd's of London for the audience in case they died of fright during the movie. Yes. No. Speaking of pranks, he was a prank king. (laughs) That is a baller move. Yeah. But he also put nurses in the lobby of the movie theater and he had hearses outside of the movie theater while it was running. Just like the king of gimmicks. I mean, he was the guy that was basically like he put buzzers in the movie theater seats <gasps> and would fly like skeletons over the crowd <laughs> during like the scariest parts of his movie. 
And he was the one that kind of came up with that stuff like Illusiono, which was yeah. kind of like a 3D type of thing. And he was doing like movie souvenirs. So you'd get like a coin after like one of his films and audience participation where you got to like vote on the ending that you wanted to see. Like truly the funnest ever. I love him. And light years ahead of his time. Yeah. And and he's been, I mean, he's referenced a lot with a lot of filmmakers like John Waters, like obviously when he did polyester, that was kind of like an homage to William Castle, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, even took some of his ideas and used them when he did Psycho, which is actually funny because there's kind of this like Psycho-esque moment in this movie that we'll talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. But he's so funny. He's one of my favorite people. I just love the pranks, love the tricks, love the gimmicks. It's super fun. So as you know, I saw what you did, stars, the very famous classic movie star, Joan Crawford. I just have to say for the record, she and I have the same birthday. So she's basically like my power stone. She's like my source of energy. Beautiful. I know. And like, I just, she, she has this career that went back to like the 1920s. It was legendary. But starting in the early 1960s, as she was moving towards middle age, she stopped kind of like appearing in a lot of the romance and kind of drama movies that she had always been in in her career. And she kind of started making... A lot of horror movies, a lot of thriller films. And it kind of started with this movie called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane that came out in 1962, which most people probably know of by this point. I know Feud has been on television, so most people know. But basically, it's this movie that was famous for starring both John Crawford and Betty Davis, uh, who were arguably like the two biggest classic Hollywood era actresses and they were at this point 1962 they were looking much older and they and you know they were in this movie they were wearing crazy makeup and clothes and they were doing crazy things and this was kind of like you know what I think a lot of people remember as kind of the beginning of this for Joan Crawford but the reality is is that you know a lot of these now kind of older ex-studio era stars we're doing horror movies, especially the women. And there's this term for it now called Grand Dame Guggenal, which I like that. Yeah, it's very I, I like it, too. I've also heard it called hagsploitation. OK, we're not <laughs> falling so far from grace to have Grand Dame Guggenal to hagsploitation. No. <laughs> Uh, and also it's I've heard it also called Psycho Bitty, which okay, that's kind of funny. That is funny, <laughs> right? <laughs> so maybe there's a high mid low of the of terms, right? But uh, honestly, you know, I think a movie like Sunset Boulevard, which I don't know if people have seen, it was probably one of the first of this. And I would call this, I would call Grand Dom Guggenall, Hagsploitation, whatever. A micro genre. I mean, it's kind of yeah. basically like a genre, you know, a small genre within a bigger genre. But there were basically like a handful of movies made during the 60s, 70s, even even now. I mean, I think people are talking about movies like Ma that came out. Mm -hmm. Was it last year or the year before? But in this era, in the John Crawford era, 
there was a ton of these like old actresses that were doing stuff like this. So it was like Gloria Swanson, Joan and Betty, but also like Tallulah Bankhead, Olivia de Havilland, Elizabeth Taylor, Ruth Roman, Veronica Lake. And of course, my all time favorite, Shelley Winters. Yes. You know, but like basically these are middle aged actresses and actors that were doing these kind of like genre movies. So horror, thriller, science fiction, disaster movies, straight up exploitation stuff. And in these kind of hag exploitation, psycho bitty movies, there is typically like a murder that's stemming from some kind of like psychotic jealousy, usually some kind of familial situation going on with like their kids or a husband or whatever. And I mean, I'm telling you in this, in this micro genre, there's a lot of like psychotic moms, a lot of people trapping their relatives, (laughs) trapping their relatives, killing their boyfriends. And it's a lot of times these older female characters that are, you know, basically the catalyst for all this. And a lot of times they're in the movie, in the plot of the movie, processing their old age, dating like much younger men, but just always sort of desperate and psychotic for love in some way, either from like family members, you know, spouses, whatever. And I talked a little bit about this um, during the All the Way Up episode with Leonardo DiCaprio, like what happens to you as an actor in Hollywood as you age. But, you know, we know Hollywood is like especially merciless when it comes to women and when they deem them too old. Right. And, you know, the basic understanding is that you're suddenly no longer believable as a romantic lead. And now you're just relegated to the genre movies, which are always seen as less prestigious. Mm hmm. So the absurdity of this is essentially what this micro genre is. I mean, it's like it's crazy because, well, first of all, I have to say, I I think I prefer Grand Dame Guggenau as the term because honestly, like I they there is a lot of like adding the exploitation suffix to things. And that just seems lazy to me. I just I have to say, like, we got to it's like when people add Palooza to things. I'm just like. Come on, people. Remember when our parents started doing that in the 90s and you're like, you don't even know what it is. We don't yeah. even know what it is. Like, nobody knows what it is. You can't just add Palooza. <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I'm at work sometimes and like I get an email. It's like a marketing Palooza. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like Palooza. What is that? It's and you can, you can take hag. You can take the hag of it. I'm out. I get to tell you when I'm a hag. (laughs) Well, I'm going to, here's what I'll say about that too. Honestly, whatever it's called, I really do feel that these are terms of endearment. Like, because when it comes down to it, this micro genre really is almost exclusively championed by gay men and women. Right. Right. Because let's face it. We are the only people in this world who find value in women being older. Exactly. Okay, And we love women who take chances and aren't hiding away as they age and are finding a power or something in playing these complicated characters. Right. And that's why I think that these movies are fascinating. Like they're very entertaining and there are a lot of times they're actually bold and daring. Like I think what Betty Davis is doing in baby Jane is amazing. Yeah. 
but they're also fun and a little campy and a little weird. And that's all great too. Like it's, it's a thing, right? And as much as I'm like, yes, I get to call myself a hag. You don't get to call. Um, I do think it is at the end of the day, like we love these movies. We love these yes. women. We love fucking old ass Shelly Winters trucking it in an old movie, still love acting, it. still working. It's great. I'm going to start calling this genre the Straganona. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I much stra- prefer that. Are you fucking kidding? I much prefer that. Straganona is like, look, she's trying to tell you. She knows what she's talking about. She's got the experience. But you go ahead and do what you got to do. Think you can get away with this murder on your own. Think you could trap a family member on your own. Ain't going to happen. I... Absolutely love that. I want somebody to write that into the Wikipedia right now. Uh, I have friends in high, high places. So whoever's, whoever's writing about film, please, please add the Streganona movie. So let me, let me get back into the actual plot of, I saw what you did. First of all, so it stars John Crawford, even though she's, she's not in it as much as some of the other characters, but she's co-stars in this movie with John Ireland, who plays Steve Merrick. He was a Canadian American actor. They actually had a, a little bit of a fling at one point. So they know each other, if you know what I mean. And he's actually been in a ton of movies in his career, but for me, he will always be Cherry Valance from Red River, um, which is this Western with John Wayne and Montgomery Clift. And (gasps) John Ireland's character has this, it's like this legendary scene that he has this like really flirty thing going on with the Montgomery Clift character in Red River. And it's kind of mind blowing. And it was talked about in Celluloid Closet. It's like, it's a lot. I, I, that movie actually rules. I love Red River, but So the plot of I Saw What You Did, a brief synopsis, is that there's these two teenage girls named Libby and Kit, and they're hanging out at Libby's house when her parents are just like out for the night. Like the dad, I think it's Libby's dad, is like, nothing is going to fuck up this night for me. I don't care if you guys have to starve. I am leaving. (laughs) And they're not not just going down the road. They're going to Santa Barbara. Like from the boonies of wherever they live in like Bakersfield, who knows? They're going to Santa Barbara. And he's like, nope, they're fine, honey. They're fine. She's remember two years ago when she made one right decision? Let's go. It's like the mom is like, yo, the babysitter called in sick. Maybe we shouldn't go. And he's like, fuck that. We are out. <laughs> as far as we know, they are orphans. Um, there's a lot of scary older white guys in this movie, I have to say. Like a lot of scary dads. <laughs> So basically, like, it's Libby and Kit and then, like, Libby's little sister. Very precocious. At one point, she says, um, like, they're taking her temperature because she's getting over a cold. And she keeps saying, um, look, I'm normal, like, to indicate that her temperature is normal. She's like, I'm normal, I'm normal. And then she proceeds to do nothing normal for the rest of the movie. (laughs) She's such a little weirdo. (laughs) This this movie goes from a zero to a hundred real quick when it comes to these kids because essentially they the minute the parents are gone they start going through the phone book and they're just pranking people at random and and honestly it is not your grandmother's era of like is your refrigerator running like the first phone call that they make one of the girls pranks a house where she pretends to be this guy's mistress like i'm like what the fuck they go for the jug they go 
for the jug. I mean, the opening scene of this, like the opening sequence, like the title sequence of this movie, you're like, oh, this is so cute. It's very 60s teen movie, very gidgety or whatever. But then it just goes from that to this where it's like, hi, uh, I'm so desperate to talk to you. And like I'm sitting here going, there's like a seven year old in this room right now. What is going on? And she's she's like their secretary. She's going through the phone book and picking out the next number. She's ready to go. I was like, this is nuts. And, you know, and then they're just like calling certain people and they're saying to people, they're just like, I saw what you did and I know who you are. And the funny thing is, is that most people that they call when they're doing this, they're just like, fuck you. And they just like hang up like it's not a big deal. Right. But of course, they fucked with the wrong guy. And they call Steve Merrick that they just find in the phone book, a Steve Merrick and his girlfriend or wife or somebody answers the phone. And while they're waiting, because they've had, they've said, hello, can we speak to Steve? And the girlfriend's like, who the fuck? And then goes into the bathroom to get Steve as he's taking a shower. And then he decides to murder his girlfriend slash wife in the shower and throws her through the shower door. I mean, that was, I don't like being interrupted in the bathroom. That was an escalation. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. And, you know, speaking of the psycho moment, I was like, this is very psycho. Like there's, it's in black and white. It's like, you know, the arm movements, you know, very violent scene in psycho with Janet Lee. You know, it was that thing where like, oh, well, it's funny because, Basically, Alfred Hitchcock borrowed from William Castle, and I guess now William Castle is paying him back for like, right. thank you for honoring me. I will now honor you. I don't know. I just was like, oh, OK, so this is weird. Here's the craziest part. So you're like, oh, my God, this guy murdered just randomly did it. But then, it, you know, it gives you a little bit more after the fact, because it turns out she was going to leave him because he's like a serial philanderer. And this is where Joan Crawford comes in because apparently she's his neighbor and she walks in like right after this happens, this grisly fucking murder happens. And she's just sort of like, what's up? Like, I love you. Like, let's run away I, together. I put on my biggest statement necklace. <laughs> like her statement necklace is like power cords hanging around her neck. I was like, cover that chest just cover it with bejeweled goodness and here we got another instance though this moment we have another instance of the move of the guy kissing somebody to avoid her knowing what he's up to the old shyster trick i fucking hate um because now he has a dead body to hide he just killed somebody the funny thing is is that so this all happens and then the girls call him back and is basically like i saw what you did and i know who you are and of course now steve merrick has killed somebody so that dumb phrase that they pranked somebody with suddenly has higher stakes than when they uttered it earlier in the film (laughs) and this is when it goes to zero to 100 because now They've hung up with Steve Merrick and they're fantasizing about him being some dreamy hunk. And they start scheming to meet this guy. So they steal their parents' car with the little girl. (laughs) They go to his house and they're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to meet Steve. Where I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, these girls are horny for Steve Merrick. They're like, I just have to see him. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Let it go. (laughs) Like, don't you know... He actually sounds like a fucking serial killer. Let this one go. I thought one of the rules of 
prank phone calls was that you don't like follow up like you don't go yeah. to the second location like don't go <laughs> with steve merrick to a second location like come on and like of course when they show up joan crawford who is frantic and trying to you know receive the love of this murderer is like get away from my man and she scares them away and she steals the registration card from the mom, from the parents' car, and then basically goes back into Steve's house and is like, by the way, bitch, I know about the murders and infidelities, and you better marry me or else. Like, blackmails him into marrying her. And it's like, don't you see why I have to do this? And I'm like, damn. <laughs> this psycho bitty is really psycho. And this is why we named our podcast after this film. <laughs> yeah. I won't even get into that. Like, let's not read too much into that. But it's like, you know, he's so here it is like the scenario of like, here's a guy who's murdering women left and right. Now these like two, three young girls are involved. And it all stems from a fucking prank phone call night where they were left alone when the babysitter called in sick and it's just sort of like the funny thing is is that i'm not gonna ruin the ending but i swear to god this movie is way darker than what yeah. you think it's gonna be in the first like 15 minutes and i have to say that I, I won't give away the ending but the ending to this movie is straight up bananas i just have to say it's just so <laughs> it bananas bonkers. in the in the most 60s bullshit like awesome horror movie way ever it's such a fucking insane movie um and i love it i love the soundtrack the soundtrack (laughs) adds to the weirdness of all those twists and turns because you're like oh a peppy song they're having fun what what (laughs) What? (laughs) it's like this is an austin powers movie it's just a big joke and then it's like whoa holy shit (laughs) oh god i love it i love this movie i thought this was such a good choice for prank phone calls because it also shows a different time of the prank phone call where like her her parents were frantic like well the mom was i won't say the dad was the mom was like i have been trying to call them for three hours and the phone is busy and now i'm calling and no one's answering because that was when they had they were doing prank phone calls for hours but then they left to go see steve merrick and she's like something is clearly up and the dad's like nope let's back to the party (laughs) he's like i'll call the cops and like have them swing around and and check and it's all and a lot of these prank phone call movies too is a lot about the cops which you know that's that's kind of a, a thing maybe uh, a trope of prank phone yeah. call movies is like who's the cop that's gonna like tap the line or like come in the you know come and save him it's crazy but it's it's funny because it's like an era where there was only five digit phone numbers yeah did you notice that where i was yes. like oh my god that is wild have, have you ever seen those numbers where it's like my number is bkl and i'm like wait what yeah where are these letters coming from <laughs> bkl05 and i'm like huh like sometimes <laughs> I watch old movies, I'm like, it's very jarring. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and I swear they're probably on rotary phones. I'm like, yo, the stuff you had to do back in the 60s to make prank phone calls, it was a lot. A lot of cardio went into those calls. <laughs> <laughs> the, the phone dial was like the, the wheel on, on uh, Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> or like, they had to like yeah. spin it with all their might. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was, will say for, for the record, I've heard the gimmick, the movie gimmick for this movie, that William Castle was originally going to hand out like giant 
plastic telephones to everybody. But apparently, like Liberty Bell or whoever was that owned the phone company back then was like, no, don't attach <laughs> our don't sully our name with this bullshit. Like, do something else. We don't want to deal with it. And I think he, oh I don't know God. what ended up happening, but yeah, it's um so funny. This is a wonderful choice for this film. I really liked it because it does go bonkers. And I think we'll talk about this too with, with my movie, but these movies are usually based around the concept of like teen girls in peril. Yes. You know, so it's very much like the that that angle is played here in a very interesting way because they're, you know, they're kind of tag teaming it. And they're making bad choices, but that doesn't mean they should be killed. <laughs> yeah. There's a moment where I think, are these girls just simply too horny to, I mean, they need to be told not to be this horny. Am I right? Like, they're like, oh my God, his voice sounds so sexy and I oh, love yeah. it. And I'm like, uh-uh, girl, like not, not in this era, not in 1965. You can't do that now. He so. just killed four people in one night. Like, you can't be like... Just a horn. You got to have a different outlet, like have someone to kiss or make out with or dry hump or something to get this out of your system so you don't go chasing down a murderer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the first thing I thought of was like, this is the Internet, (laughs) like where people are like, oh, my God, he's so hot. He sounds really muscular. Like his aim (laughs) chat was really muscular. And I have to meet him. Just be careful. (laughs) Whether you're making prank phone calls or you're on AOL instant messenger, does that even exist? I don't even know. Uh. (laughs) Oh, God. Be careful on Gchat. Be careful across the board because these dudes are out there and they're getting away with it. Yeah. Well... Um, I'm glad you liked the movie. I love that. You know, we did name our podcast because of this film. I won't say there's a thematic connection, but we love Joan Crawford. I personally, like I said, we we have the same birthday, so I I feel her power, especially in the statement necklace. (laughs) Desperate for love era. We we salute you. (laughs) I'm ready for your film. My movie for our theme of prank phone calls was released in 1979, directed by Fred Walton, and it is When a Stranger Calls. Leave me alone! Jill, we traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Just get out of that house. Every babysitter's nightmare becomes real when a stranger calls. So I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of this film um, for which many, many, many other films after it have taken uh, things from it and built tropes about. But the overall uh, synopsis of this film is a babysitter named Jill Johnson goes to a home to babysit. When the parents go out to a restaurant, uh, she starts getting phone calls immediately from some man who keeps saying five creepy words, have you checked the children? And then by the time she gets to a frenzied, like call the cops, call the restaurant, call the parents, she is freaked out so much. The cops call her back and are like, we traced the call and it's coming from inside the house. She panics, runs to the front door, sees a figure at the top of the steps, Opens the front door, Charles Durning's face, which is like, you do not want to see that face when you open a door, whether you're panicked, happy. (laughs) That shit. I've seen this movie like five times. Every time that shit scares the shit out of me. I'm like, I mean, (laughs) 
<laughs> that man, I don't ever want to, if he ever punished children, all he would have to do is look at them. He has that kind of face. Charles Durning has had a, rem- had a remarkable career. Love him. Incredible actor. But he has one of those faces that's like, do not and don't even think about it. <laughs> His resting face is nope. <laughs> so that's the first, the first 20 minutes of the, of this film are legendary for this reason, because this is, this all happens in the first 20 minutes where the action is built, the narrative is built. And essentially what has happened is that this random English guy who used to be a merchant Marine washes up on the shores of LA and just comes to this house and kills these two kids. He rips them apart with his bare hands. His name is uh, uh, Kurt Duncan. So Kurt Duncan is just out here killing people for no, literally no reason. So at the end of that scene, he is sent to an insane asylum uh, instead of going to jail. And then he escapes. And the rest of the movie takes place seven years later and is essentially about his escape. Tony Beckley, who plays Kurt Duncan, died like six months after this was filmed, which is kind of sad. And then uh, Jill Johnson is played by Carol Kane, who is another actress who's had a remarkable career. So many good people in this movie, man. So many. And this was also, uh, it was written by Fred Walton and Steve Feck. Uh, it was based on a short film that they did called The Sitter, which is why the first 20 minutes feels so compact, because I think that was the basis of their short film. But there are so many things I want to talk about with regards to this. Because it's I, first of all, is this really a prank call movie if the prank is murder? <laughs> like, I fought with that a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it is. The prank phone call can exist with or without the murder when it comes down right. to it, right? So, like, the fact that he is calling the house is independent of whether or not he actually follows through with the bullshit in his prank phone call, right? So, this is real. You know. Because he does at one point. I, but I understand. It's, it's, um, it's a semantic issue, yes. It is a semantics thing. But I'm saying it's a prank call because... He pranked her to the point where he ruined her fucking life. And oh that my is God, to me, like, no the kidding. ultimate prank. <laughs> that is the ultimate prank to me. <laughs> but what's what's wild is that, like, again, the five words that are so creepy that have solidified this film in history, I think, are have you checked the, the children? I really want to interrogate for a moment the concept of babysitting as a psychotic endeavor. Yeah. Period. It is absolutely bonkers. I started watching children when I was 12. Yeah, me too. Me too. I did not know anything beyond 911. I did not know how to put out a fire. I did not know what to do in a rainstorm. I did not know how to unplug a drain. I didn't know anything. And I was in charge of children. So babysitting in general is the wildest endeavor. I know parents need a break. I feel like the singular babysitter is something that should never have happened. <laughs> well, it was a different era too. Let me just yeah. tell you, I think about this all the time when it comes to like my friends or my sister, like who have kids now, like when we were 11 and 12 years old, it was totally fine for an 11 or 12 year old to be taken care of sometimes two, three children all day long. <laughs> I did that when I was 12. Yes. I babysat three kids almost every single day during a summer and i was left alone with them from like nine to 
five, basically. Yes. And I'm like, that shit would never happen. That would never happen. And you earned like $10 a day to do that. <laughs> this was, it was a different era, folks. It was a different time. And then also the notion of babysitting for strangers. Like she shows up and she has never met this family before. So when he keeps asking her, have you checked the children? It's kind of a legit question because she doesn't ever check on the children. <laughs> like not once has she checked on them. Now, granted, it probably saved her life because he also said he wanted her blood all over him. But she just showed up to this house that she for people she's never met, children she's never seen and is getting these call these creep calls. And it is just it is intense right off the bat. And again, it is one of those movies that contributes to this trope of preying on the fears of young women and yeah. setting up this kind of cautionary tale of young women who do things that get them caught in these webs of horror. And I'm like, all she did was show up in a house that had a phone. Like, it's not her fault, man. It's like, listen, <laughs> it's she ate a popsicle. Fault. She put it in an ashtray. Ugh. I mean, she was bringing some study materials. Why? Why is this happening? No book bag, just holding her books. Just holding the binder. And that popsicle was shrugs to funk. That thing was just like wrapped in paper and put in the freezer. Freezer burn be damned. I was like, don't put that in your face, girl. You don't know how long that's been there. Well, and this is so funny that you mentioned this, too, because I was thinking about this movie the other day and I was like reading about it. So in the original, this happens actually in the original short, too. Did you notice that like when she first came in? And the, the the husband or the dad or whatever says to her, uh, we got some low-fat yogurt in the refrigerator. Yes. And I'm like, what's that about? It's because she's a woman. She's a, yes. she's a teenage woman. She needs low-fat yogurt. Okay, motherfucker. I mean, he's like, I, I put this heifer on a diet. You might as well take advantage of it, too. It was <laughs> if you so want to get a boyfriend... <laughs> We got some cottage cheese and blueberries in there. And that's all you're allowed to eat, you fucking cow. <laughs> They've never met. They've never met. And he felt like he could say that to her. Yeah. No shit, man. No shit. Oh, my God. Ugh. But yeah, so his kids get ripped apart is basically what happened. Pretty this much. Guy, yeah. Kurt Duncan. That's his 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 punishment for misogyny. Uh, his kids, you eventually find out more about this killer, which again, like the tension was so heightened in this film because it is just this young woman alone in this house. You don't even see the killer. You don't see anyone else but her for 20 minutes. And when you do start to learn his story, it's that like he didn't use any tools. He just kind of like ripped and bit them apart. Like these little kids for no reason. So that's kind of weird. So Charles Durning does show up to the scene He's the cop. He's in charge. Uh, when we cut to seven years later, he's a private investigator. And the father, the low-fat yogurt father, uh, has <laughs> now hired him to be a private investigator and find Kurt Duncan, who's just escaped from this institution. How long, I'm just curious, like how long would it take you to formulate an escape plan if you were put into a, a mental institution? How long would it? Yeah. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> so six years. Is it bad that I don't even think I would try to escape? Yeah. I just be like, just keep the drugs coming. I'm going to take a nap. Bye. Yeah. If I had some crafts, I'm good. Like give me some popsicle sticks and some like... <laughs> Like, I don't think it's a it's a vacation. I'm not saying that at all. But I don't think I have it in me to fight a wrongful imprisonment in an institution. 
I'd be like, yep, I'm going with it. I had 40 good years. Let's let's roll. (laughs) (laughs) But he does. He escapes. And then this is where we get to this middle part of the film Mm -hmm. where um, Colleen Dewhurst comes on the scene. And he meets Colleen Dewhurst in a bar called Torchies, which apparently used to be a bar here in L.A., And she has such great instinct. She's like, I just want to read my magazine and smoke my cigarette and drink my drink. And he comes sidling up and is with his creepy eyes and is like, hey. And she moves a stool away and he follows her and then he gets beat up. And this is where I want to also note, because the guy who beats him up is just like another patron in the bar who's like, hey, the little lady wants to be on her own. I would rather get punched in the face than have someone spit on me. Spit is the (laughs) most disgusting thing I've ever (laughs) scene in my life like i hate watching scenes where people get spit on i cannot stand it not in this post-covid economy certainly not hell no hell no i can't stand spit and i cannot i don't i cannot explain it i cannot stand it in movies when people brush their teeth (laughs) or in real life or in real life like seeing the foam and the stuff and the like i it makes me want to I feel like it's rare that you actually do see actors and actresses brushing their teeth, though, because a lot of times I notice this in movies a lot. I've seen a few um, (laughs) where they actually don't use the toothpaste and they don't they they do the whole fakey thing where they're just like, (laughs) like, I'm like, you you didn't put toothpaste on that toothbrush. And then now you're just drinking the water because we all know why you don't want you're on Hollywood makeup. Like you're not going to brush your fucking teeth because if you're like me, it's all over you. And they don't want to have to, you know, figure that part out. But yeah, I, I hear you. I can't. I can't. When he spit on him, I was like, nope. I'm at, oh, God. So disgusting. So Ugh. disgusting. Yeah. So then Colleen Dewurst goes home. Uh, and again, her instincts have been great right up until the moment where Kurt Duncan shows up in her hallway, having followed her home and then just kind of makes himself at home in her house. And she's like, she basically lives at like the Hotel Cecil and it's like kind of run down and like, but you would notice if someone got murdered there, like you would see that. So it's very strange that she's just kind of, she's very nonchalant about it. But I also, I don't know, it just made me wonder, like he's just escaped from this institution. How did he have money to even offer to buy her those drinks? And where did he get clothes? Yeah. Like there's, he looks, you know, and now he's got, so he's beat up. He's got these weird clothes on. He's got these weird shoes on. He just looks rough. He's looking rough. Uh, he's sleeping at a shelter and like everyone at the shelter calls him Creepy Kurt, which I love. Like, within a day, he got that nickname. Like that says something about you. Um, so the rest of the movie is kind of like this cat and mouse between Charles Durning and Kurt Duncan. And Colleen Dewars has a, it's kind of a short-lived middle part of the movie because she, you know, he does come back to her apartment and threaten her and it's weird. But then Charles Durning chases him away and... But she's just kind of like this forgotten cautionary tale in the middle of this larger cautionary tale. Well, and it's funny. I was going to ask you about this because the pacing of this movie, I think a lot of people have like if there are if there is a chief complaint about when a stranger calls, it's that because the first 20 minutes are so keyed up and so terrifying that Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people feel like disappointed maybe when the second part arrives because it is. Like there are just literally minutes of of scenes of just Colleen do her smoking cigarettes walking exactly. around, right? Which now, if you're me, 
I fucking love shit like that. Like I'm like, if you, I will watch a four hour French <laughs> movie about Colleen Dewhurst smoking cigarettes. Like, give me that Jean Dillman oh, movie, right? But it's that thing where, like, I think a lot of people are like, yo, what's up with this whole first section? And then there's this slow section, and right. maybe it's not as good. I mean, I personally, I, I, my take is that I like that it is a, it is like a little mini section within a larger section, and it yeah. has some merit to it. And I, I don't find it as jarring as I think maybe some other people do, but I just wanted to know what you thought of this. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Like, I didn't find it tedious, and I read a lot of the same, you know, reviews and articles that said the same thing about how, like, it's a great movie for the first 20 minutes. Like, people are really sore about it. And I think that it's like, this is where this movie is kind of foraging in, in new grounds because they were taking the traditional horror film in this instance, like Fred Walton was taking the traditional horror film and adding this narrative layer to it, which makes you care more about what happens to people. So I don't think that it was, it wasn't at all jarring to me or, you know, I didn't find it boring or disturbing because now I've been a nerd in that, you know, like we've been a nerd in that kind of narrative um, horror. But I think it was kind of a departure at the time where it wasn't just nonstop threat, 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 kill, kill, kill. Right. Well, then the third section I think is even scarier in a lot of ways. I mean, the first section is legendary. The first 20 minutes is true horror legend. But that third section where, I mean, you got to know if you have experienced, if you're a babysitter and you've experienced this trauma, okay, now you have your own kids. Why are you hiring a babysitter? Like, I'm just saying... (laughs) Thank you. This is my question, because the the last part of the movie, we're catching up with Jill. The murderer has found her because she her pictures in the paper. And she has two kids who are literally the same age as the kids who were murdered when she was a babysitter. And P.S. At the end of that scene where those kids are killed, the cops are like, how's the babysitter? And Charles Durning's like, "Eh, she'll be fine. If you look at her seven years later, the sheer amount of wicker baskets hanging from the ceiling in her kitchen indicate that she is not okay. And then she would leave her children with a babysitter is not okay. How do you do that? You, this is, I know I just said it in this episode that sometimes the only way to get over trauma is to go through it. This is not trauma that you go through or around or over. This is like lockdown, batting the hatches. I was babysitting two kids who got killed, and now I'm here having a babysitter when the same man who killed them has escaped. I'd be like, I am taking these kids to this fancy restaurant on Valentine's Day. I don't give a fuck. We don't leave these kids with anyone. (laughs) These kids have never seen another human being without us being right next to them. Because she's letting them play in the yard and like... You want to believe that, like, oh, this is just, this is a survivor tale because, you know, she's gotten through her whatever her grief and trauma is to the point where when she does have her own kids, she's not scarred or worried or traumatized. You've got a hundred baskets hanging from your fucking kitchen ceiling. You're repressing something. There is something going on. <laughs> There's something going on. And it proves to be true because he does catch up with her and... He does call that restaurant while she's out having this fancy dinner with her kids and says, have you checked the children? Mm-mm-mm. And she hears that voice and loses it. So the end of the movie, which is, I do not want to spoil at all, um, but this last part of the film is basically a reckoning between these two. Yeah. And her kids. Yeah. 
It is bizarre, but I, for the life of me, this is why I think that the concept of babysitting is like a psychotic endeavor. Because if <laughs> you hit a point of parenting where you're like, I genuinely don't care if somebody comes in here and murders all of you. I have to go to the movies for two hours. <laughs> like, I cannot take it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I. It's so funny because it's like, you know, to go back to your earlier point about whether or not a prank phone call means like... Whether I guess maybe the mutual exclusivity of a prank phone call and a murder, right? <laughs> like I, it's so true because this guy. I think that part of the thrill of making a prank phone call initially is that it's like you're gonna dis- you're disruptive. You're doing something to freak somebody out. Okay, even when it's innocuous, even when you're just going, huh, 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 or even when you're just going. Ch- hamburger like (laughs) you're disrupting something right Right. (laughs) so it's like there's a whole legacy of films now where like somebody's making a call and you know in these horror movies it ends up being the deadly phone call yes you know but i'm i'm saying it's like you don't think this when you're making them you know like or even when you get them once in a while especially now like sometimes you get like a telemarketing or a spam risk a spam risk call you're like certainly this is not ending in a murder this is just my auto warranty expiring or some shit oh god but you this never just know somebody, they want to know if i want to change my insurance and i don't like <laughs> i don't think i'm gonna have to be looking over my shoulder for the rest of the night like i can't take a shower i can't eat dinner like it's not that deep but this was a different time and also i noticed this is such a weird detail and these are the kind of details that i pick up on that make me wonder if there's something wrong with my brain because I did this when i watched the hours i noticed that um the kids pajamas were the same as the curtains in ed uh, harris's apartment so that's how i knew they were the same kid before the end of the movie and jill in this film when she's going out to dinner with her husband this is the babysitter now seven years later she puts on the same exact shawl that the dr mandrakis's wife had <gasps> it's the I same exact shawl that. i never picked up on that And it's probably just like a movie budgeting thing. They're like, we got a shawl. Let's use it. But hey, sometimes that launches a million conspiracy ships, right? Just that. That is a murder shawl. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit, man. (laughs) But I love this movie because I think it it brings me back to this time where the world probably was just as scary as it is now, but we didn't have to think about everything ending in death. Whereas now it's just like, well, we're probably going to die. I'm going to go go down the street to get some milk. I might die. I love you. Bye. Yeah. Like it was a different time. And this is, it's, I like that this is a different kind of prank phone call because it really hits at the fear that's cultivated in us as a culture. You know, it's not based on a fear that you should you should not think someone's upstairs in your house about to kill you. Sure. You know, like that's not a fear that most people have. But I think that it is kind of a fun a fun twist on what is a culturally instilled fear. Cuz this is a time when, you know, when this movie was made in 1979, this is when a lot of serial killers were ramping up and like, you know, Night Stalker and the Hillside Stranglers. Mhm. Son of Sam, is that set late Son of 70s? Sam. Yeah, Son of Sam was late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is like definitely a time when, you know, that was becoming more prevalent. So I think they this is a, m- probably one of the first films that capitalized on that 
that cultural fear? Well, I, I have to say it's iconic. And there's so many people I love in this movie. I, you know, love Colleen Dewhurst. Rachel Roberts is in this movie briefly, like she's a fave. And, you know, love that Charles Durning, love that he is, you know, flying over kitchen islands or whatever it was. And he's just like, fuck it. Like taking this old bod out for a spin. I don't give a shit. I'm doing, I'm chasing this guy down. There's a part where he busts through a door like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> and you can so visibly tell that it's his stunt double, but it doesn't even matter. It's <laughs> wonderful. I mean, it, I love it. Like there are moments where he's running where he's like, let me take a breath. It's like when we <laughs> talked about John Wick. Like I was yes! basically like, love it. That's fucking real life. I'm not running through a halfway house. <laughs> up and down staircases and just doing it all willy nilly. I'm like, give me a second. All right. I'm gonna... <laughs> Steps. There's two flights here. Fuck this. So I love, I love two it. Flights and I'm Charles Durning. He's like, look, I'm Charles Durning. Okay. I don't need to run up two flights of steps after anybody. <laughs> I have the gravitas. <laughs> you let me take a damn break. Oh, it's great. And Carol Kane was just so great in this. And it's yeah. it's it's a great movie. It's a great movie. Great movie. I'm so glad you picked it, as always. And such a good one. Well, that was our show, Straganona. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that we got to the bottom of prank phone calls. And um, I don't know. What do you uh, what do you think about next week? We don't have a show. Am I right about that? We don't have a show next week, but we're going to pick up with a bonus episode on Thursday. They're great. I love our bonus episodes. Yeah, we basically were. It's a real loose hang. You know, we're not really going like a hundred hours into, you know, the history of a movie. We're just riffing. It's fun. It's a fun time. And um, we laugh. And if you've if you've ever heard me reference the seven deadly monkeys you want to listen to the bonus <laughs> episodes to understand what that's about because that is a run that that is a running inside joke that i want you to get we want everyone to be inside that joke so. oh, oh lord <laughs> oh my god well do you want to tell them uh, where they can find us on our social yeah so we are in the middle of our bracket for is it good or was I horny? So um, check that out on our Instagram stories. Uh, we are I saw a pod on Instagram. Also, we're I saw a pod on Twitter. And if you want to email us, I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. And email us your personal recommendations. Do not email us your votes because they will not be counted. Yeah. Everything for the bracket is happening on Instagram. So go do it. Yes. All right. So, yeah, I guess we'll see you in two weeks. What are the movies for that episode? Oh, you have two weeks to watch what I think are some of the most crowning achievements in film. Our films are Carrie from 1976 and Coal Miner's Daughter from 1980. Oh, my God. And you can try God. to guess that theme. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram to try to guess the theme. Uh, it is... Probably not as obvious as you think, but maybe it is. Shoot your shot. <laughs> this is the shoot your shot episode. Shoot it. Awesome. So yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks. See ya. Thanks for listening. Stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs>
This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media manager is Taryn Mazza. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 